please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 14. We are studying the book of Romans, working our way passage by passage through the book. And so we take these small chunks and read them and consider what they say to us. But it's important to remember that the the book of Romans, it was really a letter to a church in Rome. And so the original context of this would have been to read the whole thing in one fairly lengthy sitting. But that would have had the effect of those who read it to remember the big picture, the forest, and not just the trees. And so I want us to remember what Romans itself is in fact about. Romans starts by telling us that there is a righteousness from God through faith. That is, a right standing with God that doesn't come by religious works and doing things and performance of people, but rather a righteous standing with God that comes as a gift that's received by those who get it through faith, through trusting through simply believing that God does in fact give that gift and He'll give it to you. And we see that gift sort of exposed and studied and and, and to take every facet of it and imagine it and, and apply it to our lives in the first 11 chapters of the book. And then from chapter 12 on, the Apostle is saying, now here's how we would respond to those mercies. The mercy of God that makes us welcome in His sight in spite of our sin and our failings and our weakness. How do we then, in view of those mercies, respond and live it out? And in chapter 14, we're going to get something very particular. How do we live out these mercies in the church, particularly in areas where there's some disagreement among Christians? How do we live with people who are very different than us in light of the mercies of God? That's what we're about to read We'll only have a few minutes today, but we'll uh, spend some more time in chapter 14 in coming weeks. So before we read this scripture, let's pray together and ask God's blessing on the brief time we have in His Word today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want your church to be healthy and strong and flourishing because of your mercies and your grace. We want to respond faithfully to that which you have given to us by Your Son. And now You have made us acceptable to You because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. He is our hope in our life. And we want to hear about what He has accomplished in us and what He has prepared us to do for His honor and glory. So we pray, would You help us understand and apply Your Word? Would You send Your Spirit to change us because of what we read? And would You lift up Christ for us that we might see Him and enjoy Him and love Him. We pray in His name. Amen. Romans 14, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, 
while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. He might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of you will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This is God's Word. It is completely true, and it is utterly trustworthy. I want you to imagine this scene at your work. Someone who comes in off the street, perhaps even an acquaintance or a friend of yours, comes in, and begins immediately to start telling people what to do. Whether it's, you know, you or perhaps you're the boss and you're looking at them going, wait, what are you doing? Everybody would think that was just extremely odd for someone just to come in and start saying, here's the command, this is how I want to run the place. If you were an employee, you might say, I'm not going to do that. If you were the employer, you might feel a little more territorial. This is my business, you know. I don't need you to come in here and run it. Or, if you want a sports analogy, imagine a fan who jumps in uh, to the sidelines and, and starts calling in plays and telling who to go in and who to come out. The players would think that person is crazy and the coach would be calling for security. It's just not the way we're going to do it. This isn't, you know, your job. And, and, and kind of like that, that's what happens when we start making rules for each other. When we start measuring each other's performance and evaluating and saying, here's how you're supposed to do this Christian living thing. I have the ideas. I know what it's like. And that is a temptation for every Christian. Because the reason I'm doing the things I do is I think I'm doing it right. And so, since I'm doing it right, you should do it like me. That thought pattern is a temptation for every Christian. We are, when we judge and evaluate each other, what we are doing is we're coming in to the place where we don't belong and saying, let me direct you. In our church, in the constitution of our church, when we say, here's what the Presbyterian Church in America is going to be like, we list some principles on which we base uh, the working of our church. And the very, very, very first principle that we list in that constitution is this. God alone is Lord of the conscience. That is, God alone has the right to tell us how to live and what to do. That doesn't belong to anyone else. And so, where God has given commands, that's the way we're supposed to live. What God has forbidden, we should abstain from. That's God being the Lord of our conscience. And what God has required, we ought to do in obedience. But if you read the Bible carefully, you're going to find that there's a, a lot of life 
that fits in between those things. Things that aren't forbidden by God and things that aren't required by God, they line up somewhere here in the middle. And on those things, God alone has the right to say anything, to evaluate it. And we're supposed to give each other freedom. There are two things that make that freedom difficult. One is Galatians 6. Listen to Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so the Scriptures say, when you see a brother transgressing those lines, falling into something forbidden, or failing to do that which is required, we're called to help them come back, to be restored. That's the responsibility of the church and the community. That makes it a little difficult. We're called to involve ourselves in those areas that aren't freedoms. Here's the other problem. We don't always agree on where those lines are drawn. We're not exactly sure where transgression begins and freedom ends. Sometimes we think this is wrong and perhaps it isn't. Sometimes we think this is what you're supposed to do and perhaps we are the ones mistaken. In the passage, we find two examples of that. In the Roman church, it says in verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Here's the reason that is, and I'm quite thankful that we're allowed to eat whatever we want. In the Roman church, it was common for the food that was available for you to buy at the market that it was originally sacrificed and offered to some idol. And there were a number of Jewish Christians in the Roman church who had grown up all their life being told certain foods are off limits, they're not kosher, they're not available to you being faithful to God. And so I have these two factors that are in me that say, I can't have that meat. If it's been offered to an idol, now I'm eating this meat. It's been offered to an idol, and that's not right. That's dishonoring to God. Or, I've, I've read in the Old Testament all those laws about food, and, and so I have to reject this food that other people are eating. It's a way for me to be faithful to God, and so in order for me to be faithful to what God has commanded, I'm just going to eat vegetables, because I know that's okay. That's the way someone would think in the church in Rome. But Paul tells us, That food offered to idols, you didn't offer it. You weren't participating in the worship. And that idol is nothing. That was just an empty ritual. Don't worry about it. Since you weren't participating, eat the meat with thanksgiving. And he's told us that those old laws of the Old Testament were particularly for distinguishing markers of the Jewish people that now that Gentiles and Jews are coming in together, that, that that isn't in place anymore. Those were shadows pointing us to the coming of Christ. And so you're free. But what happens when you bring those two people together? One who says, I like bacon. And one who says, but God doesn't. That's what this passage tells about. There's another one. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. In particular, you're probably thinking of the Jewish festivals. There were three or four festivals that the Jews participated in on a yearly basis. And those were special days for believers to remember the works of God. But the Gentile Christians had never celebrated those holidays. They weren't part of their normal experience in religion. And so 
they overlooked them, ignored them, and forgot them, and just did regular things. And the, the Jews could look at that and be offended, while, while the, the Gentiles said, what? Why is this day special? It's not part of my history. We would actually have the very same things today. We may look down upon people who, uh, who drink alcohol. We may uh, feel superior to folks who can't say no to the donuts. I recently watched a, a special by Jim Gaffigan, a comedian. And he said, when you see a friend in McDonald's, you kind of hide your face. You don't want them to see you there. And your friend says, oh really, I'm just here for the ATM machine. You know, I feel superior because I eat better. Or we look at people who may think Easter or Christmas or Lent aren't really special seasons. Do them if you want, don't if you don't. We think that's so unspiritual. Jesus is the reason for the season. Paul says to you on matters like these, Give each other space. Let love guide the way you interact over these things. Now I want to talk about two things. I want to do it very briefly. I want to add more in future weeks. Two things to think about as you interact over places you disagree. Places where you may look at other people and think, that's not spiritual. Or where you look at other people and say, I don't know why you feel like you've got to do that. Two things. First, welcome and accept each other. Welcome and accept each other. Verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Not to quarrel over opinion. That is, welcome him not to set him straight. Welcome him not to go, I'm going to fix you. Not so that you can start the argument over who's right. Welcome him as a friend. Say, as you are, you get to be in my life. We ought to accept each other in weakness. He says, for the one who is weak in faith. Let me suggest some places where we might feel like each other is weak in the faith. We might disagree about politics. One person says, I want to vote for a Republican. Another says, I want to vote for a Democrat. Neither one of them looks and says, how can you do that if you're a Christian? Don't you know what they support? Don't you know what they support? Don't you know what they ignore? Don't you know what they ignore? And so we look at each other and say, how can you do that if you're a Christian? Paul says, accept one another, regardless of your politics. Here's another child raising. We would argue and quarrel over what to discipline for, how to do discipline, how to do education. And the Scriptures Paul says, on these matters, accept one another. And give each other freedom. We might argue over clothes. What's appropriate to wear to church? The Bible does have something to say. It says be modest. You don't want to come with clothes that are trying to draw attention to yourself. But here's what happens. I think this is what you're supposed to wear. And then I see people who don't wear what I think, and I can feel superior to them, or I can feel condemning. And either way, I am rejecting my brother. The Bible doesn't speak to it. So God doesn't require it. We shouldn't. 
how people spend their money, how people choose their entertainment. Even still, we have sort of rules about who's being responsible in their drinking and eating. Another one we might choose is attendance at church programs. We might tend to evaluate people based on how many things they do at the church. The Bible says you should not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's God's requirement. He wants you to be involved in each other's lives so that you're able to see each other transgressing and help restore, so that you're able to fellowship and and bond over Jesus. Those are requirements. But how we do those things, God hasn't commanded. And so we shouldn't look at people who are at everything and think, man, they're awfully busy. Don't they know that's not necessary? We also shouldn't look at people who don't come to everything and think they got their priorities in the wrong spot. In fact, if you want to know how to know if you're transgressing what Paul is saying here, he tells you very clearly, verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls. If you can judge, if you can condemn another person on these matters, if you can look at them and say, they're just not very spiritual, then you can say, I'm probably not getting this right. The other aspect he gives you, is he says you can't be condescending. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. In this case, the one who's eating meat knows he's right. He knows that he's got freedom to do so. And he looks down at this other guy and says, man, you're so, you know, uh, troubled, so anxious. Be free, man. And he doesn't respect this other person's opinion. That's what it means to despise them, to kind of consider them worthless, to be condescending. If you find yourself condescending to brothers in Christ, or condemning to brothers in Christ. That's when you know you haven't figured out what Paul is calling you to. And that's when it's time to turn to the Lord Jesus. And you turn to Him and you say, Jesus, I feel really condescending to these people who don't get it yet. And see, even my don't get it yet, that's condescending. And you say, Jesus, I'm grateful that you didn't treat me that way. That you didn't wait for me to get my act together before you loved me and welcomed me. Help me, because you know how to do it. Welcome those who are weak. And if you feel condemning and judgmental toward others, they are not doing it right. God is not going to be pleased with them. If they were to do what I'm doing, they'd be better. If you feel that way toward other people, go to Lord Jesus and say, Jesus They're so immoral here in the church. And even with that, I'm judging. Help me let go of this judgmental attitude that I might humbly receive my brother and ultimately let you be the judge. Now, I'm really out of time. So I just want to say this. Jesus is the judge. This is where you can be confident. Jesus is going to be at work. Jesus is at work shaping His children. And so if you look and you say, I don't think that's the best way to live, you can say, but that's, that, that person belongs to Jesus. They're not my employee. They're not my player where I'm the coach. I'm going to let Jesus be the 
the coach. I want him to be the boss. I want him to be the one who shapes and saves his people. And, and if you feel condescending, you can say, but Jesus was gentle. Not just with him, but with me. And so we want to take from Jesus that which we want then to give to each other. To welcome and accept those who differ from us. To genuinely receive them. Let me make two applications. First, we want to be a little bit self-doubting about how sure we are we're doing it right. We want to take the things we say, this is the way you're supposed to do it, and be willing to question it, especially when we see other Christians who are trying to live out before God just as we are and doing it differently. We want to say, maybe there's more than one way. We want to be a little bit self-reflective and to say, I don't know that I have all the answers in these areas to which God hasn't spoken explicitly. A little self-doubting, a little bit self-humble to allow others to have room. And then the other uh, application. And I want to make this particular because in light of today, we're bringing in deacons to our uh, offices. The deacons were called particularly because there was a needy group in the church. Uh, In Acts 6, there were widows who were missing out on distribution of of financial aid and, and food that went to those who were needy. And so the deacons came out to make it equitable. And the picture is this, that there ought to be in the church this ministry that cares for those who are weak and most needy. That there ought to be a sympathy in our hearts rather than a superiority feeling. To look at those who are perhaps weak in their faith because they're insecure. To look at those who are weak in their faith because they don't feel the freedom that the gospel really gives them. To see those who are weak in the faith because they are hurt and wounded. And to say, but that's who God has made us for. Deacons, let me urge you. Your calling is to help the church care for those who are most needy. Physically, but also emotionally and otherwise. As you come to know those, help us. We need you to help us become generous and merciful. That's your calling. Because God says the church should be a place for the weakest of the weak to come and be healed. I want you to remember this scene in the Gospels where Jesus is walking among a massive crowd and He's trying to get to the home of a, of a centurion whose daughter was, or not a centurion, but a, a, a temple leader who, whose daughter had, was very sick and was on the verge of death. And as he's walking, a woman, unnamed, walks up, and she herself had been sick for 12 years, and says, if I could only touch his garment, and she touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus, in the midst, stops. He says, who touched me? The disciples think, Jesus, there's a big crowd around you. Everybody touched you. He goes, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. I felt the power go out. And this woman, who is now terrified, admitted to what she had done, but she had been healed immediately. And Jesus didn't turn around to scold her. He turned around to assure her in her doubts, in her weakness. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Your weak, doubting, struggling faith 
has made you well. May First Pres be a place where people who are weak in faith are made well because they have touched Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us receive and welcome those who are weak. And we pray that you would help us see that we probably really have weak faith and we just don't know where it's weak. That we don't know the freedom that we have or the joy that we should have and um, we haven't really grasped it yet. So help us to have the humility to welcome those who see things different than us because you are gracious and because that's the way you would want your church to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move to a section of our service in which we get to receive and ordain those new deacons that we elected a few weeks ago. In uh, Psalm 23...